Thank you for listening to the Crossridge Podcast. For more information about Crossridge Church, visit our social medias or go to our website at crclife.org. We hope you enjoy the message. So driving in Lesotho, the country that we live in in Africa, is quite a challenge. And many of you guys who have been to third world countries, you can relate to this, you can attest to this, and I assure you, my wife and my daughter sitting right here, they will testify that driving in Lesotho is at best difficult and at worst completely treacherous. And part of the reason for this is the people that you're, you're driving with, because honestly, in Lesotho, rules are simply a suggestion. I don't know that I've ever seen a speed limit sign there. I know that the cops don't have cars, so they're sure not going to chase us down. Um, and so part of the reason is the people that we're driving with and the government that we're in. Part of the reason is because of the terrain that we live in. One of the more sticky situations that I got myself in in Lesotho over the past three years involved the terrain, driving in the terrain of Lesotho. We were planning to go up to this place called Mahali, and Mahali is a beautiful area. It means hero in uh, Sesotho, and it's a beautiful area up there in Lesotho. They put a dam across a river, and there's a beautiful lake and rivers flowing into it, and just massive mountains everywhere. We had gone up there because our team has, has done some work in this area, and it's a really neat area. Uh, you go about two hours from our house on a, on a paved road, and then you turn on a gravel road, and you go about two more hours, and then you're able to hike up into these different villages. So about two weeks beforehand, we had gone to this area, and we had talked to one of these villages and had found out that they had had some difficulty in the village. Um, the chief had been killed. They, um, some of the people had, had come in and they had thrown rocks um, at, at the chief and basically stoned him to death and they burned his house down. And so this village was kind of starting to come up in the gospel. They were starting to believe the gospel. Um, and then they had this happen. And it was coming into winter. So you guys, as Crossridge Church, um, sent some funds for us to buy materials so that we could go up uh, to this village. So uh, we set a date. We're going we, right, to go to this village on this particular date. But then as soon as we set the date, we wake up on, on that day and it's pouring down rain. So long drive, lots of difficult roads, and it's pouring down rain. Ginger and Timber were planning to go. They decided that because of the rain, they were going to stay and do school. And so they didn't, um, they didn't actually go on that trip. So called our national partner, and he and I were going to go up there. We thought, hey, maybe if we can just get up there, then we can somehow figure out a way to get these supplies to these people so that they can stay warm during the winter and so that the, the village will be encouraged. So we begin the drive in the pouring down rain. We drive two hours across this paved road, and then we eventually turn right on this gravel road. And as soon as we turn right, like I'm looking at the gravel road, and I'm thinking, this has been a lot more rain than I've thought. There, there's mud everywhere. There's ruts everywhere. Um, and so I know that it's probably not going to be the fast journey that we thought it was. <laughs> fast, four hours fast. But in Lesotho, that's kind of the way it goes. Um, I knew it wasn't going to be the fast journey that we thought it was going to be. And so I turned, and 
it went that way for about 30 minutes. We were going slow. We have a four-wheel drive vehicle, and so everything was going pretty well, some slips and some slides along the way, until about 30 minutes in, I pull up on top of this big hill. And as you look down this big hill, you see about three things. Number one, you see a massive cliff on the, the right-hand side of the road, so there's no way you can go up. And then you see a, a massive cliff on the left-hand side of the road going down into this river. And the next thing I saw was nothing but mud for about half a mile as we're going down, as we're starting to go down this hill. I can't turn around, I can't do anything, but my national partner and I look, but we can see about half a mile ahead, the road gets way better. So we're thinking, hey, if we can just get through this little area, then everything will get way better. So we start, and I realize the immediate, the immediate time I start, I realize this is a mistake. We begin to slide, the truck starts to do this, and I, it's not that I, don't ha or I have a little bit of control, I don't have any control at all. We get about halfway down this hill, I look over at my national partner, he's got his hand, head in his hands just like this, and he's looking toward the door, he's scared to death. I would love to say that I had my man card on that day, I did not. I was scared to death. We, halfway down, the truck does like this, and we're, instead of sliding like this, we're literally sliding down the hill. The truck's not even moving. It's just sliding like this. Cliff on this side, cliff on this side. By God's grace, we're here today. We survived the mud. But because I think I was so scared in that moment, I often look back at that moment. And for whatever reason... I tend to uh, identify that moment with the way my emotions look when I experience difficult times. You see, it feels like so often when, we ex when I experience difficulty, when I experience struggle, my emotions are just swerving from side to side. There is chaos going on all around me in my circumstances, and my emotions are just swerving from side to side with no control at all on the road. And you see, it's funny because in those moments, I mean, I've been in church most of my life. In those moments, I am generally able to think about uh, passages like... Um, for God will leave you and never forsake you. Um, for God works all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Uh, I am Matthew 28, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. I'm able to think about all of these things, but for whatever reason, my emotions continue to swerve. And I got to thinking about it, and I think that the reason that my emotions continue to swerve is because in those moments, as my mind is thinking about the passages of the Bible that I know, my mind is also saying at that very same time, but God, if you really do love me, why don't you just take me out of these circumstances? God, if you really are with me, why is life so difficult? God, if you really are with me, why don't I see right now in this moment that you care about me? And then, I don't know if you guys, if any of you guys can identify, but for me, I begin to beat myself up. I will begin to say things like, in my mind, maybe this is my fault. You know, I didn't read my Bible as long as I really wanted to yesterday. I didn't pray maybe the way I should have yesterday. You know that crazy driver on the Lesotho roads? I probably shouldn't have thought the things I thought about him yesterday. 
And so maybe the reason I'm experiencing this difficulty and this suffering and this difficulty in my life is because I'm being punished by God. The reason I tell you guys that is because I hope that there's some way that you can identify with that thought process. That's the, way, that's the way my thought process goes when I experience difficulty. And so today, uh, I believe that as I began to study and I began to pour over, God, why in the world is my mind doing all of this stuff? I believe God gave me some answers to help me deal with living through suffering and adversity and difficulty in my life. So the title of the message today is, is Finding Hope and perseverance through suffering. Finding hope and perseverance through suffering. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 today. And we're going to read a long passage. I know, I'm sorry, it's a long passage, but we get to read the Bible, so that's cool. Verse 18 through verse 30. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through verse 30. We're going to focus most of our time in verse 26 through verse 30, but I want to make sure we get the context of the passage here as we read. It's always important that as you look at a passage in the Bible that we're able to see the context from which it is coming, not because uh, of any reason for me other than we want to make sure that we see exactly what God was saying in the context of the passage, but also because every time I've done that in the Bible, every time I've looked deeper, it has given me a deeper meaning and a deeper understanding with inside myself of what the actual passage is. So let's read it. Romans 8, verse 18 through 30. It says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Verse 26. In the same way, The Spirit also joins to help in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches the hearts knows the Spirit's mindset, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son." so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So there are a number of things that we learn in this passage. Um, The first one is not only in this passage, it's throughout the entire Bible. And it's very, very simple because I myself had to come to this realization as I was walking through some of the things I was walking to. It is this, we will suffer. 
we will suffer. And we have different degrees of suffering, sure. We, maybe we're not martyred for our faith. Maybe we are martyred for our faith. But suffering is suffering, and the same mindset applies to it all. Verse 18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed for uh, going to be revealed to us. You see, we will suffer. It is not an option. All of us suffer. I just I want to give you a few ideas of what has happened to us since uh, we went to Lesotho. You see, when we left America, um, if you guys remember, we were all excited. Like I know many of you guys are in in life. We were all excited. God was going to use us to change this country. God was going to use us to change this people group. And all of that is great because God is doing that right now. And I believe he will continue to do that. But what I don't think we could see in all of our excitement and all of the things that were going on in our mind is that it's not just a cakewalk as you walk over there. You see, when we got over there, we all of a sudden realized that the culture is different than the culture that we live in here. And so we might say something to someone else um, and mean it completely honestly and it be perceived as an insult. We might do something that would be normal in America and, and lose a relationship because of it. God, why is it so hard? If you love me, if you're with me, why is it so difficult? And then we started learning language. And I'm going to tell you, if you ever want to lose your identity, learning language is a great way to do it. Because we would go out on the town, we would go out in the villages, and it's pretty tough when you really need to go to the bathroom, but you don't even know how to say, I need to go. I need somewhere to go to the bathroom. I'm hungry. I can't say I'm hungry. You're mixing up words and people are laughing at you and making fun of you. That's difficult. God, we just want to present these people the gospel. We want to show them about you. Why is this so difficult? And then as many of you guys experienced, COVID hit. And when COVID hit, the borders in our country completely closed. There was no case in Lesotho at the time. The borders completely closed. And as they closed, our entire team that we were working with because of medical reasons had to come back to the States. And so at the time we were left in Lesotho, um, we were, we didn't know the language, we didn't know the culture, and we couldn't go outside. And so we were struggling. We were struggling mentally like many of you. I've read all the statistics of COVID. Many of you, depression rates have skyrocketed, struggling, skyrocketed. We're all alone in this world. That mindset kind of invaded us um, as we were going through that. God, we're just here to present the gospel. Why is it such a struggle? And then not long after that, Our team leader, he called and he said, um, and we had built great relationships with him. He called and he said, we're going to have to resign. Um, We're going to retire. A couple months after that, we get news that our team leader has been diagnosed with cancer. And a few months after that, he passes away. He dies. We couldn't go to the funeral because the, the... The borders were closed. And we didn't know whether we would be able to get back into the country of Lesotho. So we we needed to stay and we couldn't go to the funeral. Watching his wife grieve and struggle. God, they've been on the field for 13 years. They've, They've planted churches for your name. They're working for everything that you're for. Why is life so difficult? Why would we under why would he undergo that kind of suffering? 
all of those questions happened to me. And I don't tell you guys that to um, <laughs> completely discourage you from ever being a missionary. Um, I, don't, I don't tell you guys that to um, have a comparison going on because I know that many of you are going through more difficult things than we could ever imagine. I know some of you probably looked at that and you probably were like, wow, that seems miserable. So there's no, there, I don't say that to you to, to give you a comparison to go on or anything like that. What I say that to you for is this, we will suffer and whatever suffering you're going through, whether I may not be able to identify with it completely, whether I not, might not be able to identify with yours completely, I want you to know, and the Bible says very clearly, and he told us very clearly, you are not alone in your suffering. We all, as believers in Jesus Christ, we suffer together as one family, as one group of people, so that we can proclaim the name of Jesus Christ to the nations here in Little Elm and beyond. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is is in 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, And it's a pretty popular passage. It says, For your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I was reading one day, and as I was reading, I noticed that that passage doesn't end there. It says, Resist him, standing firm in the faith, for or because, depending on the translation, your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. So the next time Satan, you're struggling and Satan's looking at you and he's saying, no, 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 you're alone. Stay home. People are going to judge you. This is a struggle. You need to be by yourself and to figure this out. You tell him, no, we don't struggle alone as believers in Jesus Christ. And you see, that's what I was trying to do, I think, when we were overseas. I didn't recognize the fact that we have brothers and sisters around the world who are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. And Satan's, one of his main schemes is to isolate us and to get us alone. So we will suffer. There's a couple of reasons that we will suffer, and this was important for me to understand. I hope it will be important for you to understand The first one is this, we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. You can see it in verse 22, it says this, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. The whole creation has been groaning. People are groaning, the whole creation has been groaning with labor pains until now. You see, When Adam and Eve fell, when they ate the apple and God cast them out of the garden, this world completely changed forever. And now we live in a world of evil and lies and deceit and brokenness and murder and rape and all kinds of negative, nasty stuff that we should never be involved in. We don't just suffer because we're Christians. We simply suffer because we're human. I don't have to be a Christian to suffer. I suffer because I'm human and I live in an evil world. And you see, something in my mind clicked when God showed me that because for me, when I was walking through the suffering that I was walking through, I always thought, well, the reason that I'm going through this is because I'm, I'm suffering. God, because I decided to be a Christian, God, you're making me deal with this. And I don't think that's strictly true because we suffer not just because we're a Christian, but also just because we're human. So we live in a broken world. The second one is this. We will be persecuted. We will 
Be persecuted, 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You see, we suffer because we're human, and we suffer because we're Christian. When we were going through training, one of the things they taught us um, was how to deal with security awareness. So you're going to a third world country, and how do you deal with uh, suspicious people and people who are trying to, uh, you know, rob you and things like that. Um, they taught my wife self-defense, which I never understood the, the logic behind that. I've always been angry at that. She feels like she can whip me now. Um, I, 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 I kid you not, I have never seen her have more confidence in my entire life than after she took self-defense class. She walked in and was like, bring it. <clears throat> Just the confidence scared me. So we're going through self-defense class, and they taught us a whole bunch of cool stuff. But one thing that I don't think I'll ever forget is one of the instructors, he stood up in the class, and he said, he said, we are equipping you so that you can survive the evil in this world so that you will have the opportunity to be persecuted for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are equipping you to survive the evil in this world so that you can have the opportunity to be persecuted for the cross of Jesus Christ. What an awesome way to think about it. I had never thought about it that way, and it's something that I'll never forget. So, we will suffer. And then we suffer in two ways. We live in a broken world, or two reasons. We live in a broken world, and we, we will be persecuted as Christians. So we suffer as humans. We suffer as Christians. It is very, very important that we don't leave one of those out. There may be others, but I know at least those two. And it's very important that we le don't leave one of those out because it can change our mindset in the way we're dealing with things. So the question becomes, how do we live in hope and how do we live in perseverance through suffering? How do we live in hope and how do we live in perseverance through suffering? Here are some things that I believe in this passage God showed me that I was not doing in the midst of the suffering that we were dealing with. The first one is this. You must embrace your identity. You must embrace your identity. And I get this from Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which, as you guys know, is one of the most uh, quoted passages in the Bible. It's a very popular passage, and it says this, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. And you see, as I look at that passage, um, as I said, I think it's quoted all over the world. It's something that a lot of people use, and it's been a great verse for people to see and to use. But at, we generally tend to focus on the, excuse me, the very first part. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. But the second part for me I think, is what changed my, my perspective and my mindset. The second part was this. Those who are called according to his purpose. Those who are called according to his purpose. We must embrace our identity because, you see, we as believers in Jesus Christ, we have been called 
according to his purpose. That's a passive sentence. That means I didn't do anything in order to be called. God called me because God called me. I get the privilege to walk in Christ because God chose for me to walk in Christ. It wasn't my my gifts, it wasn't my abilities, it wasn't my Bible knowledge, it wasn't anything of these things that caused me to be called. I was called because God called me according to his purpose. And every one of you in this room who believe in Jesus Christ have been called according to his purpose. The other thing in that sentence that is great is that so often I forget that I am called according to his purpose. You see, that's the same his that we hear about in Psalm 19 where the heavens are rejoicing and praising his name. It's the same him that led the Israelites out of Egypt. It's the same him who inspired David to write the Psalms. It's the same him who nailed Jesus to the cross. It's the same him who is going to come again one day. The power that we have as believers in Jesus Christ, we have been called according to his purpose. We must embrace our identity. One of my favorite passages, uh, maybe one of the earliest passages that I memorized was Colossians 1, 13. And it goes like this, For he has rescued us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us in to the kingdom of the Son he loves. For he has rescued us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us in to the kingdom of the Son that he loves. You see, something magical, something gigantic happened in the cosmos when when God called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. All of a sudden, we did not anymore live to gratify the desires of the fleshly nature. We all of a sudden didn't live for the things of this earth, all of a sudden we became a warrior in God's army ready to conquer more ground and more land for him with him by, with him by his, our side in our heart. One of the, I think, most obvious places in the Bible that we can see this, uh, the, the contrast between someone who has forgotten their identity and someone there who embraces their identity is uh, the story of David. The story of David and Goliath. If you remember, it's, it's a simple story. We tell it to um, all of our kids and have all known it for quite some time. The Israelite army was encamped on one side of the valley. The Philistine army was encamped on the other side of the valley. And it looked like a massive clash was about to ensue. And as that began to build and the tension began to build, all of a sudden this giant steps out of the Philistine army and everything is destroyed. He walks out and he challenges them. He threatens the Israelite army. Anybody that's going to come fight me, if you can beat me, then you win the battle. If you guys remember, there are lots of Israelite uh, warriors there. And every one of those Israelite warriors, when the giant Goliath stepped out into that valley, every one of those Israelite warriors, they began to look at his height and his strength and his prowess as a warrior. And they began to see everything physical about Goliath. And they drew the conclusion that they could not win this battle. So they cowered in defeat. And if you remember, David, little boy David, he came up uh, on the hill and he was going to bring lunch to his brothers and just obeying his his parents and going to go up and bring lunch to his brothers. And as he's bringing lunch to his brothers, the giant Goliath 
walks out into the valley. And he, he threatens them one more time. Anybody that's going to come fight me, if you can defeat me, the Israelite army will win. And so when he did, if you guys remember David, all of a sudden he didn't see the way the other people saw. He didn't see the circumstance. He didn't see the struggle. He didn't see the difficulty. Yeah, he could notice it was there. Goliath's bigger, he's stronger, he's taller. He's more than, than David in every single measure. But you see, David didn't see himself as David. David saw himself as a warrior in the army of the living God. And so David said, yeah, let's, let's go. Let's fight. And so something miraculous begins to happen in that battle. And all of a sudden, a stone that didn't have any clue that it was going to change the course of history that day gets, hit, gets used and hits Goliath right between the eyes. And the giant, the, the fears and the struggles and the circumstances of all the Israelite army dies in the valley. Why? Because one little boy was willing to embrace his identity. You see, when we truly embrace our identity, it's not that all the struggles go away. It's that all of a sudden our focus begins to shift away from God, why are you putting me through this struggle? To God, how much more ground can we conquer together? We must embrace our identity. So that's the that's the second point, or sorry, yeah, the second point, we must embrace our identity. The second point is this, and this was, a, this was one that I think God really surprised me with, because as you read this, uh, these two things, they clash, they contradict. So number two, the point number two is this, we acknowledge the depth and beauty of our weakness. We must acknowledge the depth and beauty of our weakness. So if you guys remember when I was struggling, one of the things that I was struggling with is, God, is my weakness causing this suffering? Is the reason that I'm suffering because of my weakness? And the reality is, I think once God kind of pointed it out to me, I don't think he was surprised that I was weak. And I don't know why it took out, but I don't think God was surprised that I, but I don't think God was surprised that I was weak. I, the way that he puts it in verse 26 here is almost maddening if you read it. Verse, let, let's read it. Romans 8, verse 26. It says this. In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. Did y'all hear that? We did not know we do not know what to pray for as we should but the spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. That is insulting. We've I, I've been in my I've been in church all my life. I mean I have read the Bible I've my, part of my entire being has been figuring out how to pray. Jesus gives us the model for how to pray, there's 100,000 books on it. We do not know what to pray for as we should. 
It's insulting. But the reality is, I think it's meant to be insulting because we as human beings, and certainly me as a human being, for whatever reason, in my mind and my heart, I don't grasp the depth of my weakness before Jesus Christ. I am not and I never will be perfect in my pursuit of sanctification, in my pursuit of Jesus, in my pursuit of the confirmation to the image of Christ. I will never be perfect in my pursuit of God. It's never going to happen. Even Paul, like, I mean, think about, think about the prayer. We don't even know how we should pray. So God is saying, before you even take a step to obey you're already weak. You've already lost the battle. You don't even know what to pray. We hear Paul say it again in Romans 7 when he goes on his rant about uh, the, the difficulties that he's going through and how he just doesn't seem to be able to live the way he wants. Verse 15 probably says it best. For I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. You see, in my mind, for whatever reason, I felt like I should be able to do what I wanted to do because I was a Christian. And that, that changed everything. I now was literally supposed to be perfect in my walk toward Jesus. The reality is, the reason that that it's worded this way, acknowledge the depth and beauty of my weakness is because of this. Those two completely contrast. But in the, in the world of Jesus Christ, they all come together in such a beautiful, or they both come together in such a beautiful way. If we can grasp the depth of our weakness in Christ, then we will grasp the fullness of the beauty of the grace of God. But until we grasp the depth of our weakness, we can't we can't grasp the fullness of the greatness of God. When, when I was walking through a lot of that stuff, um, and I, my, my wife can, can testify to a lot of the stuff that was going on and just how, uh, what was going on inside of me. But um, when I was walking through a lot of that stuff, part of the issue was um, I couldn't figure out... Um, why I was so weak, and I felt like if I was viewed as weak, I wasn't leading my family well, I wasn't leading my, my daughter well, <clears throat> I wasn't leading the way that, that, that I should lead at times. But God told me, look, the fact that you're undergoing suffering has nothing to do with the fact that you're weak. I was never surprised by your weakness, because guess what? Second Corinthians 10 says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. If you guys remember that passage, like Paul was struggling. Like he, was, he had a thorn in the flesh. It was difficult for him. He couldn't, um, he couldn't get rid of it, and he wanted to get rid of it. And he just, it, it was like, like as you're reading the passage, it feels like he's just hitting a wall over and over again, over and over again. He prays, God, remove that from me. He's doing the right thing. He's praying, God, remove that from me, remove that from me, remove that from me. But, but the purpose of Paul's weakness was never so that Paul would get rid of the weakness. The purpose of that weakness was that so, so that Paul would turn his eyes toward Jesus, turn his focus toward Jesus. 
So the first point, uh, acknowledge the depth and beauty of my weakness. The first point is this, I, I don't even know what to pray. It comes from Romans eight twenty six. The second is this, the Holy Spirit intercedes in my weakness. The Holy Spirit intercedes in my weakness. That's what beauty comes from. That's where the beauty comes from. The beauty is the fact that in all of my weakness, in every time I fail in this life, it points to the greatness of God. And so when I'm walking through the struggle, when I'm looking at myself as a parent or as a, as a husband, and, and, and I consider, I compare myself to other people, I compare myself to the perfection of God, all that time God is looking at me and he's saying, no, listen to me, your weakness, your inability to do it perfectly is pointing right right at my greatness. And so the only thing I want you to do is to turn your eyes up toward me and to trust me in this process as we're walking through it. The Holy Spirit intercedes in my weakness. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. The third point is this. Revel, I must revel in the process of my confirmation. I must revel in the process of my confirmation. And see, here's the deal. When we're struggling, um, you guys know um, my, my, we've had deaths in the family. Um, things have been difficult. You don't revel. There's no reveling in that. But the process of confirmation to the image of Christ allows us joy in the midst of mess and evil and struggle and difficult. Verse 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many others. You see, those he foreknew are those who are called. We see it throughout the Bible. If you read any of Paul's letters, he talks about the believers as the called in Jesus Christ. He talks about the believers as have been called. He talks about himself as having been called. Those he foreknew are those who have been called. And something happens when those who are called begin to continue to live life because he also predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. He also predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. We, um, in Africa, one of our favorite things to do is to go on safari. We love to go on safari. There's animal parks all over Africa. Um, and it's a place that we can get away and we can relax and, and see nature. So one of the places that we do this is a place called Ndaka, and this particular place, it's on this big, giant game reserve. And so there's a number of, a number of like different hotels or what resorts or whatever you would say on this game reserve. The game reserve itself is massive, but Ndaka is just a little piece of the game reserve where some of the guests stay. And there's, there's a number of them all over the country. Or sorry, all over the country, all over the game reserve. Um, and so as you go into this game reserve, this place called Ndaka, and you stay, you see that there is a little thin wire that runs around the entire reserve, uh, or the entire Ndaka. So this little thin wire is an electrical wire. Now the idea behind this electrical wire is that it will keep the animals out. It will keep elephants out. It will keep 
lions out, it will keep uh, cheetahs out and leopards out and hyenas out and all the things that are not supposed to be in and around people. It is supposed to keep all of those things out. And so we go to Indaka this one time. I believe it was in October. And I got permission from my daughter to, to tell this story. But um, we go to this place and this this wire is around uh, this entire place. So here's the cool thing. Um, the wire probably doesn't present, prevent lions or elephants or those kinds of things from, uh, from getting in. But the wire does give the antelope some sort of comfort. So the antelope realized, hey, the lion just probably doesn't, he'd rather have an antelope outside the wire than inside the wire. And so out, all the antelope, they jump inside the wire uh, if they can. They do their best to get inside. And so while we're there one day, there is this animal, and it's, called, it's an antelope, and it's called a nyala. And it's got spiral horns like this, um, not way up, but pretty good ways up. And um, they kind of become tame in there because they're not chased by lions and things like that. So um, this antelope is walking around in there, and my daughter, she loves animals, and so she's looking at that antelope, and she's, she's like, hey, why don't I just go and pet the antelope? It's a wild antelope, and we disagree about whether I was telling her not to pet the antelope or whether she was um, encouraged by me to pet the antelope. And so there is some disagreement there, but she was wanting to pet the antelope. And so this nyala is walking around, and I don't know how long it took, a long time, um, for her to kind of build up the courage to walk up and to try to pet this antelope. But eventually, she gets the courage up to walk in and pet this, this antelope. And she gets up close to it, and she starts to kind of pet it and, and touch it. And she's, she's still kind of standing away, but she's kind of doing it. But as she's, as she's drawing near to the antelope, as she's beginning to uh, love on the antelope and pet the antelope, something happens. That antelope suddenly realizes again that it's a wild animal. And so those spiral horns, which it uses as weapons, all of a sudden are between my daughter's lungs. And its head is right here like this. And it is pushing Timber back, and she's screaming bloody murder. It's pushing her back, almost taking her off the ground. It's pushing her back like this. You see, I think... <clears throat> Sometimes I view my confirmation that way, my sanctification, my confirmation to the image of Christ. I think I view it that way sometimes. Um, and it's this, as I draw near to God, as I began to love on God, and I began to try to draw near to Him, something happens because God wants me to be like Him and so he takes his head and puts one horn on this side of me and one horn on this side of me, and he begins to drive me back so that my actions will line up with what Jesus Christ's actions were. Somehow in my brain, after lots of years in church, somehow in my brain I had the idea that that's what happened in confirmation. The idea was this, my actions are what God's after. 
If God can change my actions, he will bring suffering into my life. He will bring struggle into my life. He will bring difficulty in my life, all for the entire purpose of changing my actions. But here's the reality that I don't think I ever realized. My confirmation is not primarily about my actions. My confirmation is primarily about changing my heart to value God more than all else and to trust him in all of these difficult circumstances, in all of this struggle. It's about my heart finding its trust in and love for God. It's not about primarily my actions because you see, God knows the actions will follow and he knows the actions will never be perfect, but what he wants is my heart. And he doesn't need, instead of sending all these struggles and sufferings and deaths and violence and all these things my way, the object is when these things come my way, God is there with me to tell me, put your trust in me, seek me, trust me, follow me. Why? Because I'm going to push you with my horns until you decide until you decide to do the right thing? No. Because I, your father, know what's best for you. I care about you. I want the best for you. I'm conforming you to the image of my son because I know that's what's going to change your life for the better. And I know that's what's ultimately going to bring me glory for all of eternity. You see, God knows that conforming me to the image of his son is not primarily about my actions. It is primarily about my heart, and the actions will follow. I, I, I never really thought about when, when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. For some reason, I kind of always had this idea that as Jesus went to the Garden, he knew what he was doing, and he was building himself up almost like you do in a football game to go do the things that, you, that he needed to do so that he would bring glory to God. That was never the case. Because if, if, if you look in the Bible, if you look in the Gospels and you see Jesus right before he went to the cross, right before he went to the cross to die, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you guys remember, something happened and the Bible says he told his disciples his heart was to the point, uh, was in complete sorrow, almost to the point of despair. Complete, our, our Jesus was in complete sorrow, almost to the point of despair. And I think that happened so that we would know that for us to be in complete sorrow and for us to be in despair is not the problem when we deal with suffering and we de- when we deal with difficulty. Um, if you remember, Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to go pray. And so he went to pray. And when he went to pray, he prayed this. God, if it is possible, make this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours be done. So God actually, Jesus actually prayed for the circumstances to go away. He wasn't like, Hey, God, I know you're using these circumstances to change me, so I'll just stay right here and enjoy it. He wasn't like that. And I think sometimes in my mind, that's the way I viewed it. You've got difficult circumstances, you suck it up and you endure it and you go on. Jesus was in the garden begging God, change these circumstances. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But you know what, God? I don't follow me. I follow you. 
not my will, but yours be done. And you guys know the rest of the story. You think about the rest of the story, Jesus, he, Judas came and they, they betrayed him and uh, Peter tried to cut off the guy's ear and he healed it and, and Jesus begins to uh, be arrested by the guards and he, he, he proceeds to do everything else. He goes and he's beaten and he's stripped and he's, he's spat on and he's cursed and he begins to carry his cross up the hill at Calvary. Eventually, if you remember, he spreads out his arms and he dies on the cross of Calvary. And right before he dies, he looks up and he says, it is finished. It is finished. Why do we have that example in the Bible. Why do we have that example in the Bible that Jesus wanted to change his circumstances that completely wiped away all the sin of the world? He's begging God, if this cup can pass for me, then pass it. But not my will, but yours be done. Here's the reason, I believe. It's for us to know that for us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ is for us, yes, to struggle in the circumstances but God, not my will, but yours be done. That's why I believe we have that example in the Bible. There's a couple of other things that I do believe help us um, as we look at confirmation, our confirmation to the image of Christ. So the first one is this. My confirmation of Christ reassures me of my place in God's family. My confirmation to the image of Christ reassures me of my place in God's family. Read verse 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. Sorry. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. Who are the brothers? The brothers are me. The brothers are you. The brothers are everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. The brothers are us. You see, our confirmation, the fact that we're constantly being conformed to the image of God, the fact that God continually wants us to place his, our faith and trust more in him, reassures us of our place in God's family. We're warriors in the army of the living God. And then verse 30. Those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. It prepares me for glory. My conformation prepares me for glory. So as I'm looking at the struggle, as I'm looking at, at dealing with the difficulty that I deal with in life, as I'm going back and thinking about all the struggles that we had in Lesotho, and as we continue to face more day by day by day by day by day, I need to be reminded that I have a place in God's family 
And I need to be reminded that I am constantly being prepared for glory. The beauty of us being conformed to the image of Christ is so that when we get to heaven, we're praising God and we're loving God and we can't wait to get there. So often when I was a kid, I remember thinking about heaven as, man, there's, it would be crazy to just praise God all the time. No fishing, no hunting, none of the stuff that, that I really enjoy on this earth. But the reality is, with each passing day, we as believers are falling more and more and more in love with our great God. We're getting prepared for glory. So as we close and as the, the prayer partners come up, I want to I ask you a question. As you're struggling in life, and we're all struggling, are you blaming yourself? Are you blaming yourself? Are you like me, and you are, are simply asking God, I, I don't see your love for me in this. Is that the way you're looking at it? How do you feel as you're walking through your, your sufferings? Are your emotions doing the same thing that mine have been doing? Are they just swerving from side to side without any control whatsoever, without any grasp on the road whatsoever? God's telling you, listen, you're not alone. Your suffering is not evidence of your sin and your weakness. It is evidence of the entire world's sin and its weakness. Your suffering isn't something that you are causing yourself. Your suffering is here, and I'm going to walk you through it as your Lord and your Savior. Embrace your identity. Acknowledge your depth and the beauty of your weakness and embrace, revel in your confirmation to the image of my son. I love you. I care about you. Let's pray and then you guys can, can come forward. Father, we love you so much. Thank you that even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of us being completely human, uh, us being weaker than we could ever imagine, Your strength overshadows it all. You embrace us and say, yes, you are weak, but you are weak so that I can be strong. The darkness that at times can be in you, the, the darkness that at times can be in this world is here so that uh, your light, God, can, can shine. Thank you that your light shines in the darkness. Thank you that your strength overshadows our weakness. Thank you that everything that you are puts hope in this broken world. God, we love you. We want to follow you. God, I, I ask you right now, just please um, invade our hearts. This service this church, this town, they're not about us, God. They're about you. God, bring glory to you. Convict us, teach us, embrace us in Jesus' name.